Okay, so today's daf is Ayin Bet, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it is uh, continuing to discuss uh, the Eruvei Chatserot uh, process. And we got up to the new Mishnah, actually, which was nice and convenient to start right in the middle of the, the Amud there. Hamisha Chavurot Shavtu B'Traklin Echad. So five groups that all end up living or dwelling uh, in a single... Traklin actually means like a palace, you know, like a mansion. So the very big house that apparently they subdivided among five groups. These five groups would seem, seemingly have nothing to do with each other, meaning they don't eat together, they don't have any hotel. shared activity. What? Like a hotel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar to a hotel sounds like, except not quite, because it's going to say if they're totally separate rooms, that would be different. It's talking about that they, they cordon off these areas, uh, you know, like they would in a makeshift uh, sort of shelter situation where they sort of like put up barriers to separate off different sections or something like that. That's what, that's what it's going to be described as, as we're going to see. So it says, Beit According to Beit you need an Eruv for each and every one. Meaning to say that if the people who live in this mansion, and the way that Rashi describes it, is that each one of them has a separate exit and entrance as well. In other words, they have shared area within, but they, they have a separate exit and entrance as well. So they need an Eruv with the Chatzir around them, because they, each one has an exit into the Chatzir that surrounds this mansion, and I guess it shares the Chatzir with other as well. So, in addition to needing the way that Rashi explains, in addition to needing an eruv actually uh, for themselves. In other words, within that mansion, they have they are separate entities living within the mansion that they share. So they would have to have an eruv to allow them to carry from one area to another through the shared areas within the mansion because they're independent ent- entities. And that way, it's similar to a to a hotel. And they also would need to each independently participate in the Eruvei Chatzerot of the, of the Chatzer outside the mansion. That's what Beit Shammai says. According to Beit Yilad, you don't have to go that far. The, the, the fact that they all live under one roof, even though they're subdivided, uh, doesn't make them totally independent. And therefore, one, they're all allowed to carry within the Traklin, within, uh, within the mansion. And they also uh, only need to contribute one uh, Eruv to the uh, to the Eruv Chatzirot, not each independently, uh, like Beit Shammai said. Now, when is that true? Umodim bizman shemikzatan shuriyim bechaderim ubaaliyot. That's the so see if they're in separate rooms completely, meaning you have multiple apartments opening to a lobby or multiple. Uh, Multiple hotel rooms opening to a lobby, that would be different. That's se- totally separate rooms. There, even there, you're definitely going to need a separate room for each and every person. So we're talking about a situation where the division is somewhat artificial, meaning it's not really uh, that they live in separate apartments opening to a uh, shared area, because that would be a classic case of Eruv Echatzerot. There wouldn't be a question. Here we're talking about like you have a gigantic uh, open area, and they basically put up partitions to allow different groups to have their own uh, area, that would be a, 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 what, what they're talking about here. Now the Gemara says, that the whole Machloket here is B'misifas, B'misifas a low kind of a, uh, like a very liberal orthodox Mechitza, you know? Very low, very low wall, right? So the very low wall that we're talking about, but if it has, it's ten Tvachim, he says, there everybody would agree that each group is considered independent. In other words, the question is at what point, I mean, the real issue at hand here, to make it simple, is at what point do we consider these groups to be independent from each other? What do you need? What does it take? Right? If they live in totally separate, if they're dwelling in totally separate rooms, completely separate rooms, so then obviously they're considered separate, regardless of the fact that there's one structure housing them. You're not going to say everybody in an apartment building is really one big family. You're not going to say that. Not one group. 
Okay. On the other, so on the other hand, you know, so, so where do you draw the line? So, so they're saying that if it's a mechitzav asra, if it's a ten tefach high mechitzav separating them, that's like as good as uh, a wall. So they're they're totally separate. We're to, what is Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel arguing about is if you have a low symbolic type of divider, basically a symbolic type of divider that doesn't really qualify as a mechitzav because it's too low. There, Beit Shammai says, that doesn't count. Come on, you know, who, who are you kidding? And Beit Hillel says, no, the fact that they have a symbolic divider means that they're separating from each other and they're different groups and therefore they would need an Eruvei to carry, uh, uh, you know, um, in, the, in the case of, uh, I'm sorry, Beit Hillel would say that they don't need it because he says he's more lenient. So he's going to say that, you know, we, we don't consider that a, a separator, so they're not going to require. And Beit Shammai will say that, no, since you see that they're dividing, once you're already seeing that they're dividing from one another, so you have to take that seriously. Beit Hillel says, what are, you know, what are you talking about? This is not really a division. This is just symbolic. I'll be okay. Like, right, but at yeah, least true, but legal, legally that counts as a as a wall. So that so you can make a sukkah from that. So that's that's different. That's what Rav Nachman says. Now, um, that's the first interpretation of Rav Nachman. But get ready because we're gonna have four different interpretations of this. So you have to uh, you have to have your notebook and your uh, and your pencil ready. So that's the first one. That's the easiest one. Okay. Then Rav Nachman, according to Ika the Amri, some say no. Rav Nachman af b'misifas machloket. Even with a low mechitza, they argue, meaning to say. That Beit Hillel, whether the mechitza is higher than the ten fachim or lower, in both cases say that's not a real division because unless it's a full wall and they actually have an independent room, they're all considered one group. And Beit Shammai will say whether the lo- wall is low or the wall is high, they're considered to be independent groups. In other words, in that case, in other words, according to the first version of Rav Nachman, in the case where it was a low wall is where they're arguing, but if it's ten fachim, even Beit Hillel has to agree they are separated. Uh, according to this, no, even in a case where it's ten tvachim, Beit Hillel says that's not a real wall, that's just a divider that doesn't count, and therefore they're all still going to be considered one. These are the two versions of Rav Nachman. So basically we have Rav Nachman, the report of Rav Nachman is not very helpful to us because we don't know which one of them he said. Right? So we, we don't know what he actually said. Then you have another two uh, explanations. Now these explanations are not explanations of Rav Nachman, as you might read it. They're actually of, uh, explanations of the Mishnah independent, uh, that are independent of Rav Nachman. They say this, that uh, in fact, Rashi explicitly says that they're talking on the Mishnah. They're not talking on, on Rav Nachman because that could be even more confusing. That they they argued as follows that these two rabbis, but we don't know which person said which. So apparently, we had some transmission issues here. You know, we 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 didn't get Rav Nachman's correct uh, uh, version. We're not sure. And also, these two rabbis, we don't know who said what. But what were the two interpretations? One of them said so one said, you know, the machloket here between Beit Shabbai and Beit Hillel is talking about where there are full mechitzot reaching the ceiling. That's where there's a machloket. Meaning, even there, Beit Shabbai says, I mean, even there, Beit Hillel says that they're all one group. Even there, Beit Hillel says they're all one group, even if these dividers reach the ceiling. Okay? And Beit Shabbai, and Beit Shabbai says, no, even... Uh, but, but everybody agrees if the wall doesn't reach the ceiling, so then they're all one group. In other words, according to this, Beit Shammai is a middle, little more lenient than he seems. Because if the, if the, uh, if the uh, uh, wall goes all the way up to the ceiling, so then Beit Shammai is like, oh, you have to already consider them separate groups. So the, the, the wall goes up to the ceiling. 
And Beit Hillel says, no, because it's not really a, the natural division. It's, a sub, it's an artificial division. It's like one of those walls in the, in the social hall that you pull out to, to, to divide different areas. It's not really a division. It's just for temporary. So that's, that's not going to be considered a, uh, a genuine division, according to Beit Hillel. Beit Shammai will say yes. But if it's lower, if it doesn't even reach the ceiling, it's just like a mechitzah that we move around, like a portable mechitzah that's not going to work. According to, uh, even according to Beit Shammai, he's going to agree that there's still one group in that case. Okay? That's, that's one version. The other one says, no, 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 it's the other way around. The machloket is where there's a temporary mechitza, the portable mechitza that doesn't reach the ceiling. That if the, if the, if the ceiling, if the, if the wall reaches the ceiling, then even Beit Hillel will agree that they need an Eruv, each and every one. Okay? So you have your four independent, totally different interpretations of what is the context of the Mishnah. Rav Nachman is, distinguishes between a low mechitza, meaning one that's under ten tfachim and one that's over. According to his first version, he says their whole machloket is only when it's a very low mechitza, but if it's over ten tfachim already, they're definitely considered separate. According to the second version, he says regardless of whether it's ten tfachim high or less, Okay, they still argue. They argue in both cases. It doesn't help that it's ten tefachim. It doesn't change the situation at all. Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel still have their disagreement. And then you have two more opinions. One that says if, it, if the wall reaches all the way to the ceiling, everybody's got to agree that that's a separation. If it doesn't reach the ceiling, then you have a machloket. The other one says, no, 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 the other way around. If the, the, uh, if the walls don't reach the ceiling, that's where there's a machloket, right? But right, in the second version, right, in the first version, it said, right, the, the machloket is even if they, I, I switched it around, right? The machloket is if they reach the ceiling. If it doesn't reach the ceiling, everyone agrees they're one group. Okay? If and, it doesn't uh, reach the ceiling, it's one group? Yeah. Oh, you mean? Yeah, they were all considered one. But the, the, the other version is, no, machloket she'en megyot letikra. Where's the machloket where it doesn't reach the ceiling? But if it reaches the ceiling, everyone agrees that they're separate from each other. Okay? So in other words, the, the difference between those two is when it reaches the ceiling, does Beit Hillel concede or does he not concede? Is he still holding by his machloket or is he not holding by his machloket? That's the, mach, that's the issue in the, in the latter two interpretations. Okay? So, but the point is we have four different independent interpretations of the Mishnah here and they can be rather confusing. But now we turn to Ayin Bet, Amud Bet. Maybe there is an objection from Abraita. So Abraita gives us a little bit more of uh, less speculative. Amar Rabbi Yehuda Hasabar. Rabbi Yehuda, the interpreter or the, anal- the analyst. Uh, Hasabar means he has svara. He has uh, Rashi says, Al Shem Chorfei, Charifut Shelo. Because of his, his, his sharpness, he's called Hasabar. So this seems to support one of those two interpretations, right? They don't argue in a case where the wall reaches all the way to the top of the ceiling. Okay, that everyone agrees that they're separate, separate. right? And so that's like the, if, if we turn back, of the, that, well, the Gemara is going to do that for us. We don't even have to do it. But what do they argue about? So this seems to clearly support, if we look back, of the last two, last what do we say? The last one. Because it said, it, when do they argue? Mm-hmm. When the Mechitzot don't reach. But if the Mechitzot reach the top, then everyone agrees they're separate. That's the last interpretation that seems to support it directly. Right? So, yeah. So now it says, now the Gemara is going to work it out. So according to the one that said that, no, where do they argue? They argue when the walls reach the ceiling. Clearly this refutes that because it's saying, no, when the, when the walls reach the ceiling, everyone agrees they're separate. You can't deny it. Fine. So, the, so like the walls in the social hall that pull out 
that reach the ceiling, they, they, they would agree they separate. Okay? Now, mm-hmm. according to the one said, no, the only machloket is where the, it's like portable machitzot that we move around. But ones that reach the ceiling definitely separate. So that's siyata. That's exactly what Rabbi Yehuda Sabara is saying. Right? That ones that reach the ceiling for sure divide. Ones that don't reach the ceiling don't divide. Or that's where the machloket is, I should say. Right? <laughs> According to the first version, the Rav Nachman said that the argument is about a low mechitza. But anything that's ten fachim or higher, they're going to agree it separates between the two groups. This definitely refutes that because this is saying there are only definitely two groups or five groups when it reaches the ceiling. Ten fachim doesn't help. And According to the second version that Rav Nachman said, even in a case of a low mechitza, they argue, so the question is, this should also be interpreted, should we also interpret it as a refutation? Because here it's saying that the machloket is, that we're talking about walls that don't reach the ceiling, but that's obviously talking about more than uh, a low uh, uh, five tefach machitza. So, so, so is that also a refutation of Rav Nachman? So Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman will just tell you, what I said was, even a misifas, they argue, meaning that you might think that the machloket only begins when the, meaning that when it's very, very low, everybody will agree that it's one group. Mm-hmm. And the machloket only begins when it's ten tvachim or higher. And that's what it means, a machitza that doesn't reach the ceiling. That the machloket only begins when it's ten tvachim or higher and you really have a genuine wall, just that it doesn't reach the ceiling. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying that no, even a very low wall, the machloket already begins. And the reason why they mention a machitza that doesn't reach the ceiling, meaning they're referring to something which is at least ten tvachim minimum, that's what a machitza would be. That's to tell you how lenient Beit Hillel is, that they will still consider them one group, even though there's a wall that's ten tvachim in between. But actually, the reality is that even if it's lower than that, they're considered one group. Okay, I mean, I'm sorry, even if, yeah, according to Beit Hillel, meaning, and that, and that, and Beit Shammai will dispute that even regarding a low mechitza. It doesn't require uh, a mechitza of ten tvachim for Beit Shammai to already think that they're separate groups. Even a low symbolic mechitza will already make that division. That's what Rav Nachman is arguing, okay? Now, so why doesn't the Gemara then, why doesn't the Mishnah give us the case of a low mechitza? Why does it mention, or why in the Brayta does it mention a mechitza that doesn't reach the ceiling? Mention instead a mechitza that is less than ten tvachim to make the point of uh, that Beit Shammai is such, are such sticklers about the division here that even if it's a very low mechitza, they already say it's two groups. Why don't you say that? The answer is because koach de hetera adif, very famous answer of the Gemara that the Gemara loves to give, lenient, the lenient view is stronger. That, meaning that, that whenever we want to accentuate one of the views, we're going to emphasize the view that's lenient because that's more impressive. Rashi explains elsewhere, I don't think he says it here, but he says elsewhere that the reason why koach de adif is because for a person to be lenient, they need to really rely, on, believe in their position, right? A person who is being strict can, is hedging their bets. Well, I'm not really sure, so I'm going to say don't do it. I, I don't know. I don't say don't do it. Right. He says, right, right, right. So Rashi says, I think in Masechet Betzai, I think it is. Yeah. He says, he says, he says, he says, I remember he said that. He said, you can, you can be strict, strict with no reason. Just say don't do it. Better not to. Right? That's what the rabbi does when he doesn't know. Exactly. Right? But a person to be lenient has to really know and feel confident in his position. So therefore, that's why it says, because you're, you're, it shows a strength in the position that you're willing to go out on a limb and do something lenient. That means that you really have confidence in so the view. Lenient here? Uh, Beit Hillel is saying that even though the mechitah is ten tvachim, I'm still going to consider this group one group. 
Right, so that's considered lenient. Yeah. Now, Amar Brahman, that's why it doesn't mention the case that, oh, well, Beit Shammai considers them two groups, even if it's lower, because that's a stringency. He could just say, I, I'm, I'm always going to consider them two groups, five groups, whatever, even if it's a Lamachitza, just to be sure. Right? So, so make them bring more than one Eruv. It doesn't hurt. Just have them do it. Right. Yeah, right. So now, so it says, Amar Nachman, Amar Rav, Halachak Rabbi Yudah Sabar. Rav Nachman says the name of Rav, the Halachaf Rabbi Yudah Sabar, even though that contradicted. His, well, at least his first, the first version of Rav Nachman. We right, we said the said. second yeah, version of Rav Nachman. Right, well, <laughs> si- well, it already said that the first version was refuted by this Braita. So the fact that he's now endorsing the Rabbi Yudas Abar would suggest that it's the second version of Rav Nachman that was correct. That the Machloket pertains to any height of Mechitza up to the ceiling, meaning that, that, that Beit Shammai consider them two groups starting from even the lowest level Mechitza, and Beit Hillel considers them one group until that... Uh, until that wall reaches the ceiling. And that, that, the Rabbi Huda, that's what Rabbi Huda Sabar said, and that's what, because at that point, now even Beit Hillel is going to agree that they're two. Unless it's all the way to the ceiling. That, that's the, that that's be. what Beit Hillel said. So yeah. this Rabbi Huda Sabar is different than our Rabbi Huda that we learned? Or? Yeah, it's a different Rabbi Huda. Yeah. Rabbi Nachman Bar Yitzchak, Rabbi Nachman Bar Yitzchak said, we can see a proof for this from our, our Mishnah itself, actually, because the Katana says at the end of the Mishnah, because it said at the end of the Mishnah that they all agree that if each person has a separate apartment, that they definitely have to, they have to make an Eruv Echatzerot, or if they have, Aliyot, Aliyah means that they live in the attic, or the up, there's two, just two stories of the building, right? So, what are we talking about? Uh, rooms and, and, and attics here. If you actually mean upper chambers and separate chambers, so it's obvious that they're separate. If they literally have separate apartments, nobody thinks that the people who live in an apartment building all live as one family. That's, that's not how it works. What it means is that everyone agrees that if the setup is like separate rooms completely, or like separate stories, meaning mainihu mechitzot amigot tikra. What is the definition really of a separate room? That the that the 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 wall reaches the ceiling. It's completely divided. So shemamina that is indicated in our mishnah. In other words, if you read the mishnah between the lines, you read between the lines, you see that the mishnah is saying that. If they had totally <laughs> separate areas, and the definition of that is that the mechitzot reach all the way to the ceiling, so that means that for sure they're considered separate groups, even according to Beit Hila. So that supports what Rabbi Yudah Sabar is saying, and maybe that's why Rabbi Nachman rules like Rabbi Yudah Sabar, that Beit Hillel will consider them one group until the, until the wall reaches the ceiling. Beit Shammai starts considering them two groups, even from the Misifas level, even from the lowest uh, type of uh, the uh, far left Modern Orthodox mechitza that you could trip over if you're not looking when you walk, right? That's um, right. So Tana, so the says, "This is a totally different interpretation of HMI and Beitila because I know that's what you wanted, because I know you didn't want this to be start getting simple." So they said, "Let me just give you one more, one more interpretation that forget about everything we said up till now. There's no need actually that that really this issue is something different than we thought until now." That we're talking here about when they bring their eruv to another place, meaning the eruv food, right? Now remember, each one of these groups they have a separate exit to the chaser, right? That was that that was the, the what it was predicated on. They have a separate exit to the chaser. They're, they're in that way independent, and so they're bringing food for the eruv of the chaser outside, right? There are two issues. We had the issue of within, within the mansion itself, they have to make an eruv with each other. And they have to make an Eruv with the houses, the other houses that open to the Chatzir that is outside of this big mansion, okay? Now, <clears throat> up till now, we assume that these two issues go together. 
But now this Braita is saying, no, they don't go together. They don't have to make a, 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 an Eruv for within, within their, their mansion when they have these uh, partitions set up between the groups. They don't have to, even according to Beit Shammai. What, right. What's the Machloket? When they're bringing to another house, in other words, the Eruv that they make with the people outside, and they're bringing this Eruv to another house. Meaning that each group, according to Beit Shammai, has to contribute independently <coughs> to this Eruv Echatzerot. Whereas according to Beit Hillel, one person can represent everybody. But if the Eruv came into the mansion, there you don't need each group to participate. Now the rule generally is that whoever houses the Eruv Echatzerot, let's say you have five houses in the Chatzir. So four of the houses give bread and the fifth house that holds the bread doesn't actually have to give anything because they're holding it there. Right? So they don't need to give anything. So, uh, so if this mansion is where they deposit the food from the other houses in the Chatzir, so then they don't need to do anything, those five groups that live in the mansion. But if the five groups that live in the mansion are participating in an Eruv that they're giving somewhere else, so then each group is going to have to give. <coughs> even though within the mansion they're all considered one according to this version. Within the mansion, even though they have Partitions are all considered one, but when they go out, in other words, if they're giving uh, participating in erovei chatzerot that's outside, that's in the chatzer outside, so then they're going to have to each contribute something, and this actually is true according to Beit Shammai more broadly than this case. So, keman azla who is the author of the following brayta? Chamishashi gavot eruvan. Five people who gathered in Eruv, meaning you have Chatzir A and Chatzir B. Remember how Chatzir A and Chatzir B can join together if they want to, if they have an opening between them. They can't. So let's say Chatzir A has five families and they've made an Eruv already. They've made an Eruv for themselves. Meaning Chatzir A has an Eruv Chatzerot so they can carry in their own Chatzir. But now they decide, you know, why don't we be good neighbors and make an Eruv Chatzerot also with the people in, in Chatzir B so we can carry things back and forth. Maybe we'll have a picnic. I don't know what. Right? right? So, If they want to join with Chatzir B, they don't have to take from each of the five houses. Let's say there's one, two, three, four, five. Five houses in Chatzir A. So they already contributed to their own Eruv. Now they want to join an Eruv with the people next door. They don't have to again take from each of the five houses and give to Chatzir B. They just have to take one that represents all of them because they're already united. They have their own Chatzir. They have their own Erov Chatzirot for Chatzir A. So now they have to uh, take... The, they, right, they're one group. So it says, <laughs> Keman, So this supports Betilel. In other words, the mentioned situation is talking, according to this version, is talking about not that internally what they need to be able to move around the mansion. That's not an issue according to this interpretation now that we're taking. The issue is when they go outside. And the issue is according to Beit Shammai in general, if Chatzir A wants to join with Chatzir B, not only does each participant in Chatzir A have to give something towards the Eruv Chatzir for Chatzir A, but if they want to then extend the Eruv and also include Chatzir B and join with them, then you're going to have to go to each one of those families again, and they're going to basically have to make a new, more inclusive Eruv Chatzirot by starting all over again. Meaning, the, the question is, how would it work? We usually think it works, oh, well, Eruv, uh, that, that Chatzir A made its own Eruv Chatzirot, and now they are considered one entity, and then they will give something to Chatzir B, and they join with that entity that has its own Eruv Chatzirot also. In other words, that's the way that Beit Hillel understands it. You only have to give one. According to Beit Shabbai, no, when you join with another Chatzir, you're starting all over again, basically. You have to go back to the drawing board and go to every person again, get their food again, and now they're joining as one big family with Chatzir B. They can't do it as an entity. They have to do it as individuals, basically, according to Beit Shammai. And that would be the issue here that we see. That uh, 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 now, some say, that when is this issue 
when is this applicable? And this this version is uh, Rashi explains that the question if the eruv comes to them, okay. So in other words, if the mention is housing the eruv. If they were giving the eruv somewhere else, divreya kol tzichin eruv lo kol chavura b'chavura. Right? Even Beit Hillel will say that if this mention is joining with other houses in an eruv chatzerot for the chatzer outside, that every individual is going to have to give. Every group within the mention is going to have to give. Not like we said before, that everyone agrees within the mention, you don't have to worry. But outside is a, a, a machloket. Now it's saying, no, it's not even a machloket. Where is the machloket? The machloket is within the, uh, the, the mention, like we said before, between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, and, the, and everyone agrees that if they're joining with a, a chatzir outside, that they're going to have to join, uh, each and every group is going to have to join independently and can't join as one group. Keman azla, so, so that version, Keman azla haditanya chamisha so according to that, then the case that we saw just before, that Chatzir A, that wants to join with Chatzir B, and we said that they don't have to go to each house and collect food again, and then bring it to Chatzir B, and, and deposit it in one of the houses in Chatzir B. They can do it as one entity. According to this, even Betilel doesn't accept that, because even Betilel would say that the five groups that live in the mansion cannot collect food uh, just one person brings food to the uh, to the other house wherever the erovei chatzerot is in their chatzer, which is the similar situation to two chatzerot. In other words, they're like a chatzer within a chatzer because it's one house that has within it multiple entities. So now they want to join with the erovei chatzerot outside. They're going to have to bring from each and every individual. If that's true, then that brayta that says that you don't have to bring from each and every individual when you're joining one chatzer to another chatzer is not going to follow anybody because according to this, even Beit Hillel says that when one chatzer joins with another chatzer, you need to have each. Each and every participant actively involved. Okay, so that so as you can see here, there's a lot of different uh, views, a lot of different opinions. <laughs> the uh, the halacha actually is that when you have a uh, one chater joining with another chater, they don't have to bring from each and every family. You just have to have one uh, one uh, food that is delivered to the people on the adjoining chater. So as long as chater aleph has its own erovei chaterot, if they want to join with chater bet, they just send one. Uh, representative, they don't have to. Uh, they don't have to all participate. So the original interpretation of Beit Hillel is the one that is the halacha. Now the now the Mishnah talks about another complication. Let's say you have brothers that eat at their father's table, right? They all live in the same chazer and they they eat at their father's table. Their father is uh, providing food for them. But they sleep in their own houses. So since they sleep in their own houses, each one needs to participate in their own independently. So therefore, if one of them forgot, as we learned before, if somebody forgets to participate in the Eruv, the only solution, if Shabbat has already started, so the only solution is that they have to do Bitul Rishut, they give up their rights to the Chatzir, and that giving up the, of the rights to the Chatzir allows the other people to use the, uh, to use the Chatzir. Hey, Where is that true? That's only if they're bringing the Eruv to another house. But if the Eruv comes to the father's house himself, Okay, so meaning they eat at the father's house and the father is the home of the Eruvei Chatzirot as well. So then, in that case, or if there's nobody else living in that Chatzir except these brothers and their dad, so then they're not going to have to make an Eruv because they all share the same food. 
right? So, it, so it, since they all share the same food, if the dad is the host of the Eruv, Right or actually, many Rishonim say if any of the brothers are the host of the eruv, okay. Right, but if the but if the da- let's just say simply if the dad is the host of the eruv or if their whole family occupies the chazer and they all eat at the dad's house like every Shabbat like uh, in the old times everyone went to the grandparents every Shabbat so it was like that, right? So uh, for all of us also probably so so in in that case. So the uh, so then they wouldn't need a separate eruv because they're all united and they're the only game in town in that chaser. But if there are other people in that chaser and the eruv is at one of the other people's house, so then each one of the brothers is going to have to contribute to the eruv chaserot. Now, Shema Minah says the Gemara. You see from this, mekom lina gorem that the defining factor, what's considered a separate dwelling, is sleep. Because you see that even though everyone's eating at the house of the father. Since they sleep in different houses, they're considered independent. But the Gemara says, no, we're not talking about somebody who is, uh, who is eating at their father's house literally. Actually, dwelling is defined by eating. We're talking about somebody who receives money or receives food from the parent's house. Not that he literally eats in the parents' house. In other words, it really does follow eating, not sleeping. But we're talking about kids. When it says they eat al-shulchan it's a metaphor. It means they eat, they're uh, right, they're supported by the father. Not that they're actually literally eating at his table. That's why they're independent. So it actually goes by eating. So there's a machloket here, basic argument. What's, what defi- defines separate dwelling? Is it defined by sleeping? Is it defined by eating? And the Gemara is going to go through some cases to try to prove that. So Tanu If a person has a, a gatehouse, it's like a little house for like a gatekeeper to stay in. Achsadra is like an open sort of area outside. Mirpeset, we know that Mirpeset is like a, an elevated area. It's a, these are all places that nobody would ever live. No, they're, they're just like, it belongs to him, this small area, but it's not a place of dwelling. It's not going to affect the Chatzir that he doesn't participate in the Erovei Chatzir because he just owns like a little like balcony in somebody's house. It's not a place for somebody to live. Right? If he has a, a, a place for cattle or for wood, or for other storage, this will be uh, significant because it's actually a place that is a, a real uh, a building. Like, it's a real building. So maybe the real building, it could be. But Rabbi Uda says, no, only a place that you live in counts. A place that is just that you own a stable inside the Chatzir doesn't make you uh, one of the Bnei Chatzir. You don't, you don't have any role. You don't live there. Right? There was a guy... There was a situation with Ben Nafchat that he had five, meaning he had a home in five different chatzerot in Usha. And the rabbi said, only a Beit Dirah, only a dwelling house counts. The Gibbara says, What do you mean only a dwelling house counts? He has five houses. He has a house in each one of these five chatzerot. So it says, no, what it means is, what it means is, the place he actually lives is the only one that counts. So what do you see from here? You see that Actual living is the is is what's significant. Where you actually live, not the fact that you own a house. You could own a house in a lot of different chatzerot, but you don't actually live there. Where you live is what defines your presence and your involvement in eruv. Okay, but then the question is, my makom So we go back to the basic question: What is considered to be the place you live? Rabba makom pita. Pita is bread, like pita, 
right? Yeah. It's Aramaic. Pita, you don't realize that you're saying Aramaic every time you go to the supermarket and say, can I have pita? You go to the restaurant and say, pita. Right, pita. Pita is, is Aramaic version. Pita is hapa. <coughs> yeah. So, a pita is, is, is bread. So, it says, so, makom pita. The place where you have bread. says the place where you sleep. So, there is an objection. The shepherds, or the kaitzin, the people who are out there watching the, um, the figs dry in the field, because they used to leave their figs out to dry in the sun, and somebody had to watch them, otherwise you're going to get uh, people steal it, right? Aburganin are people also who stay out in the fields to watch them, in these huts, right? People who watch the fruits. Now this is talking actually about Eruvet Chumin, not what we're talking about, Eruvet Chatserot, but Eruvet Chumin is talking about these guys work outside the city limit, but they intend to come sleep at home at night. So let's, even if they got detained and they were outside the city limit at the beginning of Shabbat, we're not talking about they're outside the tchum, because that would be a big problem, but they're outside the city limit. We don't start calculating their tchum from, the fact, from where they are. We, can, we know that they intend to come back home at night. That's what's defined as the place where they live. Right? Hatam Anan Imam So so that would seem to indicate that where you sleep defines where you live. And since these guys don't sleep out in the fields, right, because it said where you, if they sleep in the city, then they're automatically considered members of the city, even if they didn't make it home in Shabbat in time and they're still outside the city limit at the beginning of uh, uh at the beginning of the uh of the uh of Shabbat, right? Even if they're outside the city limit, it's not gonna count for, um, uh, you know, for their tchum. It's not going to, we're not going to start calculating tchum from there, right? On the other hand, um, uh, so that would seem to go by, by sleeping. Where they're going to sleep is what defines it. So the Gemara says no. So that would seem to be against uh, Rav, because Rav is saying it goes by food. Shmuel saying goes by uh, sleeping, right? So, He says, you know why it's considered where they dwell? Because the fact is, if you brought them lunch to their workplace, they'd be very happy. That's why. It's not about sleeping. It's actually about food. It's just that they would also, it, it, because sleeping and food, it goes together. If a person's going to sleep out there, they also want to have their food out there. That's the reason. But really, the food is the defining factor. So, you know, I never heard this teaching before, said Rav Yosef. And we know that Rav Yosef oftentimes forgot what he learned because he, he had some kind of a illness, maybe Alzheimer's or uh, in his older age. Amaliyabai said, you told us this. And this is the context you told us. It, it says in the Mishnah that if sons were eating on the table of their father and they sleep in their own houses, they, each one needs an Erov. And we said to you, you see from this, that's where you sleep is what defines your dwelling. And he said to us, Allah, about it, that's talking about where they receive food from their father's house. In other words, really it goes by what? Where they eat. Because our Mishnah would sound like it's saying that it goes by where you sleep. Because since the brothers sleep at home, they're considered independent. Because they're eating at their father's house and yet they're not considered to dwell in their father's house. Says, nope. Actually, it could still be that they're considered dwelling wherever they eat. Where do they eat in this case? Actually, at their own houses because their dad just sends them food. They're just supported by their dad. So actually, it does go by food, not by sleeping. And so the, the, the machloket is unresolved because you can interpret these cases all as involving situations where the person both eats and sleeps in a separate area.